everyone. Welcome to HubShot's episode 229, how to improve your sales results using HubSpot Sales Professional. In this episode, we dive into deal stage task, lead rotation automation, sales analytics, record customization, custom reporting, sequences, one-on-one video creation, and smart send times. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, service, and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Me Found, and with me is Craig Belly from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Oh, look, so good. And look, that list that you just read out, if you're a sales geek, you're having a nerdgasm right there. But <laughs> if, if you're someone else, you've probably gone to sleep with some of those labels. But really, it is exciting stuff. And what we chatted about in the last episode was how to basically grow your business with Sales Hub Marketing Hub Professional. This week, we're chatting about sales pro hub what am i saying sales professional sales professional uh so we're focusing on sales activities and yeah there's a bunch of them and the key thing that really comes up all all the time is automation isn't it and we chatted a lot about that in marketing but in sales there's a whole bunch of tasks and activities that you can automate as well and listeners if you are in marketing and you're listening you know this does not apply to me i would have to say that that's totally untrue this really does apply to you if you want to work with sales well You need to understand all of this and help them implement it because they can't implement all of this. And that's where the magic happens, doesn't it, Craig? Sure does. All right. So let's talk about deal, stage, task, and lead rotation automation. This is some of the key things that we have in Sales Professional. And really, when we talk about this, we're talking about workflows in the system and how this can help with sales. So we're going to go through some of the ones we've covered in previous episodes and in episode 164, we covered uh, HubSpot workflows useful to sales. So there's some great ones in there. In 172, we covered sales workflows specifically. And in episode 190, we covered quote workflows. So have a look at those episodes if you want more detailed information. Now, Craig, if you have Sales Pro, and what are the first workflows should people think about putting in place? Yeah, that's right. And this is, uh, I guess this is our advice to people when we first start working with them with Sales Professional, just in terms of it is it has unlocked workflows and some of the quick things that we can get in place. So setting lead source properties, I think is one that you use. And what I'm going to do is we'll chat about them, but I know you've got a lot more experience on the sales side than me, Anne. I tend to focus a lot more on marketing. You're, you do a lot more of the CRM and sales. So, so you've got a lot more real world experience with how you use these. Talk us through some of them. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about the first one where we talk about setting lead source properties. And we do this for people that potentially have people doing a walk-in. So example I'll tell you about is builders. They have people visiting display homes talking to sales staff in display houses. And so we track this source individually and the salesperson fills this out. So what we do is in the system, we set this using a calculated lead source. So we understand that if they've converted online, then we set that to whatever the online value is. But if they've walked in, then we have specific values that can be set based on what the salesperson has given. Now, if we have a combination of the two, then we see what happens or when it particularly happened but we keep a track of both of them. So we understand that there's been an online and offline component to that transaction. All right. And so there's uh, things like setting lead sources. What about notifications? There's a whole bunch of 
automations we can do to streamline sales processes there, can't we? Now, a most underutilized one is the SMS feature within HubSpot. And the first thing here is you need to set it up in your profile and preferences. Once you've done that, you can set that in a workflow to notify the sales person or the contact owner if someone's actually inquired. So while they're on the road, it's a great way to personalize a text to say, hey, you need to call this person and give them an easy way to and a quick way to get to them without missing a contact. So the only thing I'll say, uh, or actually query your thoughts on this is, because um, we've set this up as well, but it comes from a, a US number. So it can often be a little disconcerting. It's a 1-800 uh, number or something like that, that they get the text message from. And also it changes, I've noticed. It does. So you get the notifications, not from a common or not from a consistent right. number. So that's the, the only downside, but it's also, but it's very timely. I know as, as soon as it happens, very uh, immediate, so well worth implementing. The next one, Craig, is notifying sales teams of any deals that haven't been worked. And this is a really good one to make sure people aren't missing stuff. And you can set what time frame you want this to be, but it's always good, especially when people are juggling multiple deals across different customers, a great way to keep it in front of people and create tasks. The final one is adding tasks to sales team. And that's uh, one that we utilize quite often. And this could be because somebody, so I'll give you a real life example. Somebody has a deal that hasn't closed and they visit the website and then we create a task to call them. Nice. That's really good. So that's basically combining not only sales process, but user behavior. I love it. Correct. And that works really well and is a really good touch point for people as they talk to new potential customers. I think this is part of the power of automation. People often think of automation as just a simple one-off task or a nurture piece. We'll be talking about sequences later in the show. But actually that last example you've given is a really good combination of not only process but user behavior. And it shows you the capability or the breadth of capability of HubSpot. It's not a simplistic tool. It actually encompasses a whole number of touch points. And I'll give you another bonus, Craig. Another one that we've created is creating a call list for sales if someone has previously had a deal in the system, so they're a customer, and they don't have an existing deal, but they've been on the website to follow up with a call a day later. That's another one we've used. Gold. All right, on to shot three, Craig, and sales analytics reporting that allows you to drill down into emails, calls, meetings, tasks, and notes that sales reps are logging against prospects. Yeah, so a, a bit of a double-edged sword here, good and bad, and we'll, we'll chat through uh, why it can be bad. But uh, the first point that I want to make, I think I want to just highlight that HubSpot has really improved a lot of their sales reports over the last year or so. They were uh, kind of weak in the reporting side, and I know not so much from an individual side, but from a sales manager's perspective, wanting to report across a team what was going on. So that has improved a lot, and the sales analytics dashboard is a good one. If you've got Sales Pro, you'll know that there's many dashboards. But the, this new one, the sales analytics, it kind of gives you a number of different drill-down points. We've got one in the show notes, which is a screenshot of looking at the types of activities. Could be emails, could be tasks being created, and then drilling down by person. Now, I thought it would be interesting to highlight why this can be not as ideal as you'd expect. Here's the problem. If you have sales reps that also do account management, those activities are going to combine both. So really, if you've got a sales team that are only doing sales activities, it's great for drilling into that simply. But if they're across multiple, I guess, teams, it can, which is often the case in smaller companies, 
got someone that's not only a hunter but also a nurturer and then also account management, that can all get uh, confusing. So later on in the show, we're actually going to look at the custom report builder and how you can actually drill down into that with a bit more specificity. And Craig, I think one thing I like about the new sales analytics tools, how they've split it up into coach, rep and teams, forecasts and pipelines and sales outcomes. So it's been really nice working with different people just to look at when we're talking to the the team managers is to go through the coach rep and teams, different reports that are in there. When we're talking about forecasts and pipelines, again, talking to management about what's coming up. And I know there is a new forecasting tool within there as well. So that's really good. And then understanding the sales outcomes has been another really good one to understand. One of the things is deal velocity and deal revenue by source, which is really interesting. And there's also deal lost reason. Now, under that, what I would encourage you to do is that is a a custom field in HubSpot. And I would encourage you, especially if you understand why you're losing deals, to not keep it a free-for-all field, but actually give a selection in a drop-down of why you might be losing deals, just so it's easy to report on and easy to group them by, and then understand whether there can be improvements made. Yeah, that's a pro tip right there. And we've discussed that on previous episodes, the pros and cons of having a free text field that everyone just kind of pollutes with all kinds of different inconsistency. But yeah, the drop down, selecting from a list of closed lost reasons is very helpful. And it's at this point, the reporting is where it actually plays out. All right, on to our shot four, which is a record customization. And what's interesting about this, Craig, is just personalizing the HubSpot contact and company records and even deal records so it suits the team. And that's what I love about it. And as you move up in tiers, you can even customize based on certain criteria where those uh, record customizations show. So why would we do this? Yeah, well, firstly, uh, just a, a bit of a comment. We're surprised at how many times we log into a new client's portal. We look at how they've laid out contacts or deals and fields, and it's just the standard layout. And they're forever fighting, scrolling up and down, looking for where's this field. And we kind of show them, oh, you realize you can change the layout and it's actually just saves to you. And, uh, you know, you can set the order and all of that. And oh, that's great. And so I think it's one of these things we've mentioned it as a, as a pro tip. And by the way, you don't actually need professional for some of these, some of these settings, but uh, it's really when uh, you get to professional that people are using it in a bit more, with a bit more complexity, they've probably gone to the, the trouble of creating custom fields as a whole range of other things. So yeah, this record customization is very powerful and it's very efficient. And the other thing it does is it can also hide fields that can be problematic. I'll give you a common one, mobile number. So how many times have you had a contact record? It's got about three or four different fields or properties for mobile number because there's been different forms and things like that. Well, just by setting or customizing the layout, you just define it to include the one mobile phone record that is the main one that should be used. And then that actually, it just helps avoid errors, helps avoid people putting in, if they type in stuff, putting in the wrong place. So record customization, this is a big tip for people once you've got into the sales pro to be setting it up correctly to make it work for your team. So as we've discussed, one of the key things is you can set it on a company-wide level and then a user can override that in their own settings as to what they want to see, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And also it's even when creating new contacts or creating new deals, we often yes. have this client say, 
oh, do we have to have this field when we're entering a deal? I'm like, yep. no, you don't. Oh, what about when a new contact? Do I have to have this? No. You can actually customize all of that. So listeners, if this is news to you and probably <laughs> joyful news to your ears, yeah, go and find it. It's in settings. We've got some screenshots there, but it's very easy to do. And a bonus to this is you can also set up fields that must be filled out. So if there's a particular property that needs to be collected when a contact or a company or a deal is created, you can actually do that, enforce that rule. You can actually even do it. You were talking before about that deal lost or one reason. I think you can make some of those actually mandatory as well. When it's marked as closed, you can actually force them to put in and it can be that field that requires the drop down. All right. Now, listeners, on to shot five, which is to do with custom reporting. And this is where you can create custom reports on your sales activities and use the data to make informed decisions. Yeah, this is a follow-on and a good example following on from an earlier point where we're talking about just the general sales analytics report not being as customizable as we'd like. The custom report builder gives you a lot more power. It still is in beta, and I'll say, Ian, as you know, we were fighting with this earlier, and I've actually sent off a note to um, HubSpot support uh, about trying to drill down into it. So it was good at selecting, good at first visualizing, but then trying to drill down. I actually wanted to drill down on sales activities by person, by type, but yet filtering out if the contact that they were having an activity with was a customer. Yes. I just wanted prospects and opportunities so that we could filter it down just to actual sales rep activity. And then I wanted to create another one, which was just for customers because I actually wanted an upsell report how much sales activity is going into upsells. The custom report builder is the way that you can analyze that. All right. And on to shot six is sequences. And we've covered sequences a number of times in our shows and particularly in episode 213 when HubSpot rolled out a bunch of new features. And one thing to know that sequences are similar to workflows and there are a series of automated messages sent out to contacts or tasks or requests to connect on LinkedIn, etc. And Understanding that these are one-on-one initiated and it's done and executed out of your email inbox, not out of the marketing side of the system. Yeah, that's right. People uh, often ask us, what's the difference between sequences and workflows? Workflows, we tend to say, is a mass send. You could be sending to thousands or tens of thousands of contacts going into that marketing automation sequence. Whereas on sales sequences, as you said, they tend to be one-to-one, although you can batch enroll people in them. But because the message tends to be tailored, it'll walk you through one by one. You might be tailoring the email that goes out. One thing, though, to note is a bit of a feature that sequences have over workflows is that they will jump out of the sequence on two conditions. One, if someone replies, and two, if they book a meeting. So that's something that uh, is an advantage over workflows. And the third one, Craig, is that if they do, say, for example, call you back, you have to manually opt them out so they don't keep getting them. So when they're in that, it's really clear on the contact record that you need to unenroll them from that uh, sequence. So I'd encourage people to be active in doing that and not taking the call and forgetting, oh, this person called up. Does it prompt you at all? If you log a call against a contact that's enrolled in a sequence, does it give you any kind of prompt? I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I haven't tried. I'm going to bet it does. It's the kind of thing that HubSpot would do. It would yeah, say, I have not tried that. in a sequence. Let's check that Actually, out. Actually, you enrolled me in a sequence just before we started this oh, recording. Yeah, I can check it out. <laughs> so we could do that. But listeners, and I, and I encourage people, even if you're in an organization 
and the person that answers the phone doesn't always use HubSpot, it's probably a good time to get them to use HubSpot and search within the system where that person exists and send the task for someone to call them back or the contact owner to call them back if they're not around, as opposed to emailing them. And look, it doesn't cost anything for someone else to use the system, right? So might as well have them use it and utilize the features within it. So we know that this person's in a sequence. So they can actually do something about it, especially if they've called back. So what's some common scenarios? I mean, I think when it comes to sequences, the one that was that we hear about a lot of those cold outreach sequences, just enroll some poor schmuck into a, a sequence to get followed up with annoying messages from you that are kind of mildly tailored. We've all been on the recipient end of that. Um, but what are some better... And, and they are effective, by, mind you. I know I bag them out just because I hate getting them myself. You know, I can always tell when I'm in a sequence and I'm just like, anyway. But what are some actually good scenarios that you use sequences for, Ian? Okay, so I'll give you two, right? One of our customers use this when they're sending gifts to people and then they start a sequence to – the sequence actually starts with them assigning a task internally for someone to send them a gift and then – the following sequences are the follow-ups via email and phone calls to make sure they got the gift and in the end to convert them into a client, right? So that's one that's worked quite well. Can I just jump on that? Because I actually think that's good because the sequence follow-up, I think you're saying, adds value. So the sequences that I do think work well are when, okay, it's not the fact that it's a cold outreach sequence that worries me, it's the fact that it's asking for something. Those sequences, oh, by the way, did you get my message where I'm hounding you for something? They're the ones I dislike. But when it's a follow-up and says, oh, by the way, here's another piece of, here's an article you might like, or here's something you might find interesting, or here's another piece of educational content to help you. I think that's a a fantastic use for a sequence. And that's my second one, Craig. And this is generally done after people say, look, it's not the right time right now, but I might, I'd still love to hear from you. And this is a good way with large chunks of time in between to actually keep someone in a sequence and make sure they're engaging with content. So they would often not require them, the goal would not for them to reply back, but to keep them maybe in three monthly blocks, getting some sort of email that is of value. And then if they do reply or they do call, then to initiate that conversation. But those are two ways to really use it well. All right, on to shot seven is a one-on-one video creation. And this, Craig, is not native to HubSpot, let's say, but this is an integration with Vidyard and allows you to quickly record videos and insert them into emails that you send people. Now, why I think this is good, especially in the period that we've just been through when potentially people were overwhelmed with what was going on, this is a really good way for people in sales to connect with other users in their own time. So. One of our customers, their customers happened to be really busy because they they were cleaning businesses and they were overwhelmed. So they were struggling to get through. And one of the things we did was encourage sales to record personalized messages to send it to others, which made an impact because people watched that in their own time. So it was when they were able to get to it. And two, because it was different, some people ended up passing it on to other people in the business to say, hey, look what Craig sent me. And made its way around the business. So it was just a point of difference and a different way to connect with people. I think it's one thing reading something. And I think when you see somebody and you are able to see their expression and see their genuineness when they're talking to you, that's unscripted, makes all the difference. And the more you do of this, the better you become. 
Yeah, look, I'm a convert to this now. In the show notes, we've got screenshots of me setting this up because, listeners, I had not got this set up. You were laughing at me, and It's just like, I was like, oh, how do I set this up? And you walk me through it. It's so easy. And so we've got some screenshots, and then I recorded one, and I sent one to you. Um, I was quite impressed with it. I think the, the, real, the real benefit of this is how it inserts the video with the, the thumbnail. With the play button, which is and the play button, yeah. yes. Now I don't like the fact that when you get the email, it takes you off to a web browser, but that's that's not a video problem. That's an email client. Most of the email clients don't support video in an email yet, although it's part of the standard. I'm sure it's going to come at some point. But yeah, very easy to do, and yeah, we've just uh, got some screenshots that'll walk you through how to do that. I'm actually going to use that. I think it's really good. So here's the difference because it's easier than just, because we use Loom. I think most people use Loom these days. Very easy to record Loom and insert them. But this Vidyard one is just a few clicks less, really good. And you can um, just have a little library of them as well. And the best part is it's traceable, right? And that's what you want. All right. Now, Craig, I'm going to talk about smart send times. And this is shot eight. Further to our shot above about sequences, and this is a feature that's available in the email sending that's in HubSpot, but also in sequences. So there are kind of two places that this occurs, and you will see screenshots in the show where we talk about setting up a sequence on the settings pane where you can tell HubSpot to let it choose the send time based on a certain time range, which is actually really good. So you will say you need to send the emails between, say, 8 a.m. and 6 p.m., but you select the time. So it works it out based on machine learning and what it understands about the user, but when it should send it. Yeah, I think this is really good. And this data just grows over time, so you can't expect it to be too prescient off the back. But once you've been building this data set behind it, it'll get much smarter. But there's actually a whole article that HubSpot have on the machine learning that it uses, how it's applied. And the second one is when you're sending an email. So now if you use Gmail, there is a feature within Gmail. Oh, they've taken it out of Gmail about a year ago. But within HubSpot, this same functionality is available on the email send that you can utilize, but you have to be logged in and using HubSpot to send the email. So just be aware of that. All right. And our final shot is e-signatures. They're part of Sales Hub Pro and uh, very easy to set up as well. I think underpinned by... Hello sign. Hello sign available on quotes. So you can get people to basically sign your quotes all online makes it a lot more efficient. Yes. So listeners, just be aware that if you try looking for this in the system and go to show me where the signatures are, you're not going to find it. It is related to a quote. And as you go through creating a quote and selecting it, one of the parts of that is selecting who you would, A, would you like it to be have an e-signature and B, who you would like to have it signed and you can have it countersigned and you can have multiple people that are part of the deal sign that actual quote, which is really fantastic. How have you found that? Do you find many people use it and do you find that many people sign it? Yes. So for us, we use it all the time. Sometimes people hesitate in signing it and so I have to walk them through it. But I'd say 90% of the time people will sign it. We had one today where I sent it and it came back within about Two hours, all signed and ready to go. That's really good. Admittedly, I haven't had hundreds of of quotes go out, but certainly tens of quotes go out and I've put e-signature on. And uh, I I think I've had hardly anyone sign. They'll reply by email to say, yes, approved. They don't want to do it with e-signature, but they just want to do send an email to confirm. So I don't know if there's a mindset thing or an education piece that's not yet 
So in saying that, Craig, I think you're right. There, I have had exactly that same experience. And I think if you have gone through the process and you have set it up, for example, because there is a bit of setup to verify that you are who you say you are in the first instance, once you've done that or you're used to that process, I think it's like doing anything, right? But if you've never gone through the process of, you know, you're going to get a verification, now you're going to have to do this and then do that before you sign this thing, there can be some hesitation there. So you know, I, I just think I've actually had better response from the Stripe payment button. Yes, so I, used I to agree. Just included in quotes, I've actually yes. taken it off now because I prefer them to pay another way. But I was including quotes, and people were just paying. I was like, oh, okay, they, yes. were, they weren't e-signing, but they were paying. Correct, and and that was my bonus tip for that, was to you can do the e-signature, and you can also add the ability to pay via Stripe. And that has been another game changer for lots of people is to be able to collect that payment instantaneously via Stripe. They just make it so easy. Now, I'll give you one caveat there. If you've got products in your quote that are recurring and one-off, you cannot add the Stripe payment to that because it can't handle that. But if it's all just a single one-off payment, then it can be handled. Now, listeners, we do have a resource of the week, which is... HubSpot Academy has a lot of sales courses. So we put a link in there and encourage you to take at least one. And a good one to start is with the inbound sales certification. And Craig, our quote of the week. We gave you the task of selecting a quote that was relevant and appropriate to the show. And so what have you come up with? I've come up with one from Damesh and it says, it's not what you sell, it's how you sell it. Now, listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you found this useful. If you've got a sales team, we've got people in sales or your sales and marketing team, we encourage you to have a listen to this and go through this and see what things you can improve. Share it with people that you know. We would love to be of assistance. If you've got a question and you need help, feel free to reach out and we can jump on a call with you, walk you through and get you up and running quickly. Well, listeners, until next time and until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot. 